0: Hi, my name is Stephen, your host today on Cult Hackers. Celine's away, but today I'm speaking to Anka Richter, international journalist and author of Cult Trip, a book about her investigations into a number of cults, including Counterpoint, Agama Yoga, and Gloria Vale. I found it a fascinating discussion, and Anka is an incredibly passionate and thoughtful journalist who believes strongly that the behavior of these groups needs to be explored. Finally, before we start, I just wanted to make you aware that some of Anka's investigations reveal sexual abuse within the group including that of children. We don't get into detail but I wanted to let you know before we start that we cover the important topic of protecting children in this discussion. And now I bring you Anka Richter. So it's really lovely to welcome our guest today. We've got a really interesting guest, uh, international journalist Anka Richter, who's the author of the wonderful book Cult Trip. So welcome, Anka, to our podcast today.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Steve. It's great to be on your program
0: brilliant well again it's it's fantastic to uh, to be able to talk to you about your book and your experiences um i suppose my first question is what was your motivation for writing the book why why did you want to look at cults and start to get underneath the surface of them
1: well, there's a bit of a backstory to my book. And mm. the book itself is also the making off of my book, right? Because <laughs> I I sort of fell into cult journalism by accident when I met mm. a woman from a former New Zealand sex and therapy cult called Centerpoint that um, it folded about 20 years ago and was part of the human potential movement. Um, we can go on to that. Bit later but anyway yeah. I met I met a um, former teenager from this group when I went to a new Age festival and she told me that she lived at Center Point and I actually never heard about it and at the time I thought wow how come no one's written a book about it because you know New Zealand's a small country not so many big things happen here and I mm-hmm. wonder why no one's really tackled the aftermath of that um, quite outrageous cut actually because um, a dozen people went to jail and they manufactured drugs there and many children were sexually abused so even on a global Mm -hmm. scale it was a massive cut scandal and um, I actually had a publisher then and I've bitten off more than I could chew two years into it um, I actually had to give up that book, but I can we can also talk about the, all of that um, mm-hmm. in more detail. But just to mm-hmm. give you an overview, this is how I actually got into it. And I stopped back then and but then carried on just doing cult journalism in general because by re, because of I was a research center point so intensively and it really opened my eyes to these cultic dynamics. And so I kind of became a, a bit of a cult journalist here in New Zealand. And then mm. last year, I oh know two years ago, um Harper Collins came around and um said, well um, Um, You know, how about you you write about more than just one cult? And I had this half-finished manuscript from back then in my (laughs) <laughs> my my computer I thought I would never see the light of day so it has a lot of my original reporting from many mm. years ago and a lot of new um, research that I've done for the book and I've pulled it all together I would I would say the overarching theme is actually sexual abuse in cults yeah. and yeah. or sex cults if you want to call them that but basically mm. the focus on sex and the sexual abuse that comes with that in, in cultic groups and um, it's also a book I mean that that's the, those are those are the topics i'm focusing on and there's yeah. three main groups i look into one is center point which i've just mentioned the other one is um a yoga still going a tantric or neo-tantra yoga cult in thailand um they were blown out of the water by the guardian and by me and a few other people um in 2018 and i did a bit of a deep dive it's probably be the most extensive research you'd find anywhere about Agama. And I hope that it stops people from going there because they are still going in Thailand. Mm. And the last part of the book is um, Gloria Vale, a very fundamentalist um, Christian cult here on the West Coast in New Zealand. And they've become I mean, there's quite an international focus on them now because some documentaries have come out. The costumes from The Handmaid's Tale were actually based on the kind of garb that they wear in Bell*, mm. And there are more parallels than that because it's like a real-life um, version of Gilead, you know, Ma- Margaret Edwards' dystopian um, mm. um, Christian dictatorship. So sure. – and and – and then i weave my own experiences not just with cult survivors and how it affected me and how, how you know how i got on the slippery slope of almost yeah. becoming a crusader to help some of them and left the normal confines of journalism so that's part of the book and also my own um explorations and endeavors in um a new age group called Mm. ista which is also which also has a stronghold in in europe so i guess that sums up the whole package
0: yeah that's great um i'm so glad you've done that Uh, and it's a fascinating book it's a it's it's a beautifully written book and also you know the the thing that you said there about your own involvement that's something that we don't often get. in journalist pieces i suppose um lot, lots of cult books do start with a personal story because a lot of the motivation for uh research into groups can be that you know i was personally in one and i want to understand what happened to me um but i think this is uh, this is slightly different you've also called it cult trip which i really it's a great um title because it is like you're kind of visiting all these different groups and you're um it's like you're you're doing a kind of strange road trip around these um these different groups on the surface seem very different but i want to talk to you about the the similarities um in those groups because i i know you know you've seen those and, and you talk about those as well can okay. I can I just can mm. I
1: just throw in when you say yeah, it's a great say. title because finding the right title was uh, such a long connection. trip in itself <laughs> and um one of the one of the titles that I favoured actually came through a friend was um let us pray and pray would have been spelt with P R E Y right um but it just yeah it the, the and the publisher then in the end went back to the working title I always had right from the get go when I when I handed in my my draft and that was culture and I I I actually never thought that that would be uh, the actual title. But for the publisher, it was always like, no, no, this is really what it is. You're taking us on this trip. And I did actually go around the world. I also was at Osho's ashram in Pune, which was another little to cut tourism stopover for me yes. but sorry you're going to ask something Steve.
0: no no that's that's uh, as i said i'm more interested in listening to you talk than than me i uh, just wanted to just um clarify for the for the listeners just to they might be wondering so you you are a kiwi now but you were born in germany is that right
1: as you can hear from my accent, <laughs> yes, I'm a born and bred German, I actually spent a year at school in England oh. in the 1980s in the Cotswolds, yes, oh, um, loved it very much, um, was, was always a bit of an Anglophile throughout my life, lived <laughs> in the United States, did my training in journalism there and immigrated to New Zealand about 20 years ago with my family, so I have double citizenship and I guess my accent is just all over the place now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, um, it, it's, uh, I've never been to New Zealand it's um somewhere I'd I'd love to go but I've never really done a long haul flight so whether I ever will I don't know but um yeah okay so and and I thought I suppose as we're on the subject of New Zealand it it surprised me a little bit how how active the cult scene is there you know so obviously two of those groups are are based there the um the centre point and the the Gloria Vale groups um very much part of of the the communities in which they they operate um so that that surprised me i mean you don't really think about new zealand as being a hotbed of cult activity do you
1: yeah well i, I don't know if 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 that is really representative i mean center point doesn't yeah. exist anymore it sure. was it was actually shut down 20 years ago but i would say i mean for such a small country um i mean i i, I this this is more anecdotal than mm. you know that that but but it is it is a fact that New Zealand has the most um, intentional communities per capita and more than any other country in the world and it is a bit of a utopian Refuge, and if you mm. if you think of the people who came here who immigrated here after the Second World War, um, you know, refugees from from the Second World War, but there were also later, during Chernobyl and the um, just sort of like the Cold War between the atomic superpowers in the in the 80s, a lot of greenies and hippies mm. and Europeans um, immigrated here. So it's always been this haven for escapists and utopians. And I don't know if that plays into it or it just so happened that this one really extreme cult center point was here and this other cult is still going, Gloria Mm -hmm. Bell, um, which is probably comparable to some of the, fundamentalist um, Mormon cults in the US yeah. so and there's a lot of um overlap you you know I know that you've come out of the Jehovah's witnesses or yeah. there's a lot of overlap also with so, exclusive brethren yeah so yeah. they're just I, I think anyone who's come out of those groups would find that there's there's a lot of similarity with what people are experiencing in Gloriva, but maybe it's because it's such an enclosed community it's not a worldwide cult where you have different branches but it's mm-hmm. just these five six hundred people living on this remote piece of bush and being very industrious and um looking like from another century so of course there's also this fascination with them whereas mm. i guess other cults like Exclusive brethren or jehovah's witnesses have, have just didn't have that obscurity factor maybe mm. because people dress more normally or appear more normal i mean you see me doing make you know, making air quotes normally <laughs> whatever normal is sure. right yeah but yeah. so I'm. I'm not sure if New Zealand actually has more cults than others, but it just happens to you know. This I was just here um, and I, yeah. I happened to stumble into the aftermath of one cult and then, actually get and in, go into the other one, Gloria. Um, twice, I I went to one of their concerts, which they put on um, every second year. I'm not sure if they've done no, they haven't done them since the pandemic. But I actually mm. went to the last one. They're like this big, sort of public. Um, spectacles disney-like for free and they put on these dinners for hundreds of people it's also they can keep their charitable status right and it's quite quite bizarre and you feel like you're being teleported back into the 1950s or so and then Uh i went a second time at the end of my research where i just drove in with my my husband at the wheel as well which i guess helped a bit and (laughs) confronted the current leader there and asked him some questions so yeah, um, I've 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 dipped into some other cults as well. Like, you know, speaking of sex cults, um, Om, um, One Taste in San Francisco, famous or infamous for um orgasmic meditation. I spent a week in an Om house there and did their intro course, and so, so that wasn't really a big investigation. It's more like getting a getting a sense and a taste mm. of One Taste, and um, I, but I think because of my own exploration at the time, I was also really interested in the, in those groups where for me it was just really obvious that there were culty and i probably had my own blind spots when it came to to the group that i was interested in which is typical isn't it that you you can you can spot the you can spot the cult somewhere else but not so much when you're Abs- right in them
0: absolutely all are, actually i think cult members are brilliant at spotting cults you know that they are right? they are very sensitive at spotting other cults <laughs> um but very yeah. poor at seeing their own um, yeah so um let, let's if we can just get into some of these uh, these groups in a bit more detail um the yes. the first group that you talk about in your in your book is is this center point call I should point out that there is a charity in the UK called Centerpoint. of course this has nothing to do with them whatsoever um this is I, a... I
1: feel for them and there's also center point yeah. theater somewhere
0: right I
1: think even in New Zealand oh god what an it's unfortunate name yeah mm. it's a shame yeah yeah but mm-hmm. um,
0: but yeah this um, and I I have to say that I found I mean you, you've written it beautifully but it's still quite tough to read and um some of the experiences um obviously you you were doing journalism here you were speaking to some of the survivors of this uh, of this group um i i and i know it affected you because you talk about that in 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 the book itself so can you tell us a little bit about what this group was doing what they believed um and what you found out about them
1: yeah so, are you familiar with the human potential movement from the mm. 1980s? Yeah. um it, it came from Esalen, um, which is a, actually a great place, and it's still going California. And Bert Potter, who became the guru and the founder of CenterPorn, he was the self appointed therapist, he actually a pest control salesman. He went to Esalen, got a taste of the um, human potential movement, did all their scream therapies, and gestalt, and encounter groups and whatnot. Mm. Um, but I don't think Esalen is to blame for what CenterPorn became. And then he also went to um back then rajanish or bhagwan and Mm. now you know later rebranded himself as osho's ashram in um pune india and i mean i'm just guessing here that's maybe where he got a more of an idea oh i could be i could be the same i could run my Mm. own i could my i could run my own cult and um he started off as a therapist and i mean if, if you think you know, New Zealand, and I'm sure a lot of people in the UK probably still think of New Zealand as a backwater. But back then, in the 1980s, it really was a backwater. Sure. Yeah, pre-internet and pre, you know, international flights weren't as often, and so the only kind of ser- therapy, especially when it came to um, to sexual problems, I mean, there actually wasn't any. There, there, there were the churches, or there was your your doctor, right? And so. People would actually social services would actually send people to women, especially to Bert Potter because he was well known he was renowned for unblocking women sexually yeah had this he had this special technique it was called blowing off anyway he had a he gathered a big following they bought um land and they started this really beautiful community it was actually New Zealand's biggest intentional community ever and they had a long battle with the council that they could stay there and they could have that many people and and became a bit of a notorious sort of free love place and there were rumors um, and accusations early on that children weren't safe there, and that there was child abuse and you know what that it's actually really tragic because the police um, official who was who who was brought in to to look into that he was actually in cohorts with um, Bert Potter as it turned out later he was not chummy with him it was it was done completely unprofessionally and it turned out later that this guy actually had um, child abuse. Um, sexual child abuse allegations against them too. So, you know, it was, if you think back of how many things had gone wrong just from that side, um, so many children's lives could have been different. And also it was the 1980s. There just wasn't the awareness Mm. um, around child abuse. So anyway, the people who moved there certainly didn't move there because they wanted wanted to abuse their children or other Mm -hmm. people's children. It kind of came with a territory and with this philosophy back then of, freeing children sexually of not being ashamed about your your body and nudity or seeing adults having sex. So these this this all became very fluid. And there was there was a really warped philosophy, which they thought was actually backed up by some psychologists at the mm-hmm. time. Very warped philosophy, which wasn't just wasn't just at centre point. I mean, I also know this from from Germany in the 1980s. There were certain sort of fringe elements of the alternative movement who had the same beliefs, mm. and um, so it all sailed under this umbrella of sexual freedom. Then, and I think the main problem there wasn't so much even the philosophy of um, promiscuity and exploring sexually. I mean, it's probably these things could have probably gone. Maybe they wouldn't have turned into this into this cesspool of, of, of pedophilia and criminality mm. if people had been better equipped what they're actually dealing with. But, but the main problem was that there was a guru at the top. There was a charismatic leader who called himself God, and that was Bert, and there was always a Bert says, which was a thought-terminating cliché. Mm. Bert says this and Bert says that, and Bert, Bert was ruling everything. And he was a sleazy old bastard. And women were lining up to end up in his bed. And he sexually, I can't, I mean, to say he sexually initiated girls actually sounds too it's like downplaying it. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just awful what happened there on a on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. While um, of course, a lot of people also found that Center Point saved them and it was a happy home for them. And even a lot of I mean, former children who had a great childhood or or that who were no worse off, let's just say, than kids growing up in the nuclear family. So, this whole unresolved, toxic aftermath of who has hurt whom, who Mm. is responsible for that, um, the factions of people claiming. It was just the social workers and police who told these girls that this was abuse, where actually those girls had the freedom to be wild and frisky and explorative at a young age, which is actually great for them, and we helped to liberate them. You know, there are these Mm -hmm. different narratives, and they're still there and they've messed up people's lives I'm all over the place now trying to explain center one to you because it I mean I don't have to explain it to you but to your listeners because it's such a big complex story and I actually had no idea when I took the lid off it that there were it was like a festering boil yeah Mm -hmm. like a wound that hadn't healed and all this pus was still coming out and I did come across some you know for instance one woman Louise, who who really affected me. She was already in yeah. her late 40s and I'd always sort of referred to her as the girl in the caravan because when That's she right. moved to Center Point, she was only 10 or 11 and it's actually around that time, didn't take long, only a few months until her sexual abuse by Bert Potter and was you know, enabled by his wife who brought Louise to him, started. And she ended up living in a caravan by herself on the property and barricading herself with junk. And... I mean, as you would know from reading this, it's a pretty tough yeah. chapter to read. I know that mm-hmm. most most people put down the book after that and they need to take a break. And it mm. comes with a trigger warning. And it's, can you imagine how much it affected me yeah. hearing all this? Mm-hmm. And I was the first person who Louise told her story to. It, it was life-changing for both of us. And and after that, I I was on a bit of a crusade because all of a sudden I just couldn't tolerate these. These adults, you know, the former adults, now quite older mm-hmm. adults of Centerpoint anymore who were who were downplaying what happened, who pretended that this hadn't happened. And I thought, well, I've actually met a woman mm. <laughs> who this has happened to, and it's just so, you know, she had a guardian there. Where, where was that woman? She There were other adults. How, how come so many people turned a blind eye and mm. so many people also abused her there, yeah, who some of them who she thought were her, her friends and her protectors, so... Yeah, yeah, I I fell into this massive big horrific story of Center point mm. and and I'm'm I'm, I'm sorry if I've just gone, you know, so straight into the most horrific past, but I think it 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 needs to be told because it's it, it I think it stands for so many things that have actually gone wrong in that whole, mm. Scene and and some of that we still see in the new age scene today and center point is almost like a blueprint for for people with good intentions start something that's like a utopian dream and then it turns into a collective nightmare
0: yeah I mean I want to I want to ask you about um about motivations in a moment actually I just want to just just go back to Louise's story for for a moment because Mm -hmm. you mentioned there um about this is a young girl living as you said on her own or she she barricades herself in a caravan um purposely putting lots of junk around the floor so she's got a little space to sleep because it means that she can wake up when she hears a man coming in um and so she's got her plan there so she can go out the window quickly very um, and smart, huh? yeah yeah and that, a real
1: survivor in the truest sense of the word she knew how to yeah to do to get away from it yeah
0: but you know that's that's um as you say uh the the apologist narrative it, it it's very hard to listen to that after you've heard that story isn't it um I, I i guess um so the 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 motivation question was one that i've got written down we often ask this question actually um it's often my daughter celine that asks the question is you know is the is the cult leader the first member of their own cult are, in other words are they are they doing this knowingly or you know so this guy he sounds just like a manipulative um sexual predator to me do you think there was any anything there that he that he started with good intentions or, or was it, uh, of course you can't know it I just wonder what your, yes. your sense is I
1: I, I can't psychoanalyze Potter, sure. and to be honest I've I've actually never been that interested in mm-hmm. him himself because for yeah. me he was the prototype of the charismatic manipulative Sort of sexual deviant Mm. uh, with a huge appetite someone who, I mean, just the fact that people that he wanted to be called God tells me, tells me everything. not a good sign, is it? Yeah, yeah, right. And he's also, he probably had a, you know, he had a gift. For sure, he knew how to look into people. He, mm-hmm. even though he was a self-appointed therapist, he was probably good at what he was doing in in these kind, you know, mm-hmm. these kind of therapies that he was using. So, I, I also do believe that in some ways he helped people to, you know, really. Be who they wanted to be, or you know, I've heard lots of accounts of people Mm. who said he's he's actually saved my life. Yeah, there was someone um, who's a quadriplegic and lived at at Centerpoint, and you know, a a guy who's actually really come around and supported the survivors and victims afterwards, and showed some some you know has shown some redemption, Mm. even though he was never a an abuser. And and Bert Potter really helped him to accept himself the way he was. So, but. But given all that, I, I was actually never that interested in him, in the mm. guru himself. For me, it was more about who were these ordinary people, these normal middle-class families, especially the ones the founding families. I mean, they were doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, therapists. It's I, I don't want to, you know, be sort of snobbish around education and say, oh, they should have known better, yeah, mm. but. It's not like this was a just a haven for people who were lost or who'd just come out of jail or something you know these these were these were quote unquote normal people and and I've always for me was the question was not so much who was the guy who started this all, but who were all these people mm-hmm. doing it with him and enabling him because he was mm-hmm. not the only abuser, mm-hmm. and he had these. You know, typical also for what I still see today in the in the new age and really world, typical for them also to have a little like a you no know, have this there's a mini patriarchy yeah. where the dodgy gurus are or, or also hiding behind some top women, yeah. or these top women are enabling the guru at the top because they normalize them and they seem okay and they seem smart and empowered. So the system can't be that bad, right? If there's mm-hmm. some cool people the second tier especially women it's really trust building for Mm. the crazy guy at the top yeah so I've always been more interested in those those people and I've met some of them I've met and I haven't even put them all into my book because some of these you know some of these people only spoke to me off the record or they pulled Mm. back the interview afterwards some of them cried and they had breakdowns and they they revealed more than they were actually then willing to put forward I also met um, Louise is one of her sexual abusers. The, mm. the the guru's son, John Potter. Yeah, he gave me an interview. He was very frank. He was actually quite likable. See, this is also so 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 confusing that some of the nicer people, like I mean nicer, you know, people you you know you wouldn't have an issue with if you just yeah. met them and had a cup of coffee with them, sure. were actually some of the worst people probably at center point, or the ones who hadn't really hadn't really learned anything from it or just not enough. Yeah? I didn't really, really grasp what role they played. And some of the more difficult people I dealt with, and one you know who was also threatening me legally, were the survivors and the victims. And not surprisingly, because they were damaged, right? And just mm. me basically knocking at their door, sending them in. I mean, I wasn't literally really locking mm. at, at their doors. So I knocked at the door of a... Um, someone who's come out of jail as well as uh, as the, the, the center point drug chemist, like she did surprise him, but even just, you know, knocking metaphorically at someone's door by sending them mm-hmm. an email could, could spin someone into, into, into their PTSD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like all the victims and survivors were all happy to hear from me. Some were super protective about their stories or it was really complex within their families as well. Who gets to tell, you know, who gets to tell the stories of, of their victimization yeah. and then, it's so complex. Center point was like a big incest family. But, you know, as, as a psychologist, you would know what that means, that they always have these different roles also of the ones who who know about the abuse, but they they keep quiet in order to sort of survive in their family system. And then there are those who were complicit, and, the, and then there's the one person who actually speaks out and they're being ostracized. And all these, all these different roles, you had them at center point as well. And and I had actually honestly, no idea when I stepped into it all, but then I became fascinated by those kind of dynamics, not just the guru, because I find, especially with cult journalism in the past, it's become a bit better and more nuanced now, but in mm-hmm. the past, we've always focused on the most sinister aspects, and we all know who Charles Manson was, and Jim Jones, mm-hmm. and, and L. Ron Hubbard, but what, what about the people who who help build a system, yeah. or who where, where the lines between perpetrator and victim are blurred, because at some point, I mean, you could claim, you could state everyone in a cult is is a victim of that cult, but then some of, some people also become enablers, and even worse, they become abusers and become abusive because they're in the systems. So I've always been interested in that dynamic as well, and I wonder also how much it has to do with my German heritage and my German past and this whole big. Big question of moral of 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 collective guilt and redemption, mm. and you know and how easy it is for for those of us who who are not part of the system. And you you, you know you know better than me what I'm talking about. I mm. guess you know that you it's easy to judge that from the from the outside, and yet we have to have some kind of moral compass and hold people accountable, right?
0: Absolutely. No, it, you said so much there that I I want to pick up on it. Um, first of all, um you you uh introduced us to a, a German word um towards the end of the book, uh which is this post war term. Do you, you wanna just tell us what that yes. word is?
1: Yes, it's and it has an umlaut well, right? It's like it's Vergangenheitsbewältigung. Okay, it's one of those lo- long-term words, and it means coming to terms with the past. And it's it's actually only used in the context of coming to terms with the past of the Holocaust and the Third Reich. But yeah. um, I did apply it, and you know, I've, i felt especially with Centerpoint because I, I mean, I had the fortune or misfortune, however you want to see that I've I've stumbled upon it twenty years later, so. I, I could really see how there hadn't been that kind of vergangenheitsbewältigung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there hadn't been a process of. Collective, um, you know, like like collectively working through it, and some kind of truth and reconciliation process. None of that. It's only happened in the last few years. Um, th- and there's a really great um, project online. People can look up. It's called the Centrepoint Restoration Project, where a lot of um, a group of the former children survivors wrote an open letter to, from the from the second to the first generation, pretty much asking, asking, you know, those 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 adults who were responsible for these children. suffering to get to get into to, to step forward into some kind of um restorative process with them and i mean it's a slow and long and hard road and you know if it's it's and that's what I mean that this kind of Vergangenheitsbevelting is still needed and I guess also for other groups and across the board right where where especially now with the internet and the second generation you know Mm. being coming into adulthood or being well into adulthood that there's more of a understanding of 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 justice that has to come before there can be peace right
0: yeah and and I think it's um it's something that I wasn't aware of um until fairly recently the, um, the, the slight tension that there can be between what gets called first generation um, and second generation.
1: If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1. fifty and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some cult hacking you've been involved in, or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to culthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our cult hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast.
0: Another topic in your book is misogyny and uh, a lot of these um, groups are very clearly misogynistic, I would say Jehovah's Witnesses fit into that camp. So women cannot take areas of authority. But if you're a man and if you are um if you've got anything about you, let's say you're, you're you know you're fairly bright and you're willing to take responsibility, it's very easy to become first a ministerial servant. Which I was. And then once you get to a certain age, you can become an elder. And at that point, when you're an elder, then elders are the ones responsible for determining who is shunned or not, essentially. So the disfellowshipping process is entirely left with the local body of elders. These guys are window cleaners, plumbers, electricians, you know, and now they're being told to um, be the leaders of this. This sort of quasi-judicial process, and um, yeah, I think there's a lot of anger towards these men who essentially are put in a position that they are completely inequipped to be able to to carry out. But yeah, um, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of complicated feelings towards um, that the members of the group who who essentially were also victims. It, it's a complex. Uh, pattern um, of, of behavior and thinking I think um, it's,
1: it's really complicated And I think this whole um, yeah this whole process of, of yeah like you said first versus or second generation mm. versus first generation this reckoning that's now happening which I don't think we've really seen until recently, like, yeah. and, you know, if I, if I also think of the Children of God and mm. the numbers of books that have come out there. Yeah. And, do you know, there was a European, um, Equivalent to Centerpoint, which was the Ottomul um, commune in Austria, which some <laughs> some listeners might be a bit more familiar with. And with Centerpoint, at least in the in the German speaking world, they were really sure. um, well known. And there's um, and there's been documentaries and books come out. It was very built around the same similar principles. They were a bit more radical. Um, actually, they were a bit more radical. Um, I think Centerpoint is a bit softer in comparison. I mean, they had rosters every night, like who had to be in whose bed every night, so mm. that no, no, no couple, there would be no couples. No one would fall in love. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was so anti monogamy. Every, everyone had their hair, their, their heads shaved, everyone with the same guy. Gar- it, it was, and, and the kids there, were similar in d- damaged in a similar way and um but they started the whole vergangenheitsbewältigung process um a bit earlier than than they did here in, in New Zealand with center point so there was actually um, there was actually a public apology given by from the from the first generation to the second generation mm. um in a big um public sort of meeting and art exhibition they had and I'm I'm actually fascinated by these you know, by these initiatives and and we see them now also here in New Zealand was a, a woman who's come out of, um, you know, she was second generation exclusive brethren and she's mm-hmm. come out and she started um, the Olive Leaf, um, I think Olive Leaf, Olive Branch Network. Um, and I just think it's is so, so amazing also to see, you know, and that you are doing this podcast with your daughter. I've, It just gives me goosebumps to see mm-hmm. that. yeah these these initiatives where actually the generations can reconcile and can can find a way to work through this together yeah because like you said and everyone's a victim in, in some ways but then it gets really complex um you said when people's roles were also defined by the cult and they were responsible for um suppression or or um subjugation or abuse even that they probably wouldn't have done had they lived in the outside society so yeah who do you hold responsible for that right i mean we do well, have everyone has some personal yeah. agency but then also when when where does it end and where does it stop right
0: yeah and that is of course that is and that this is why it's such an interesting application of this 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 word this um concept around uh, reconciliation following or or coming to terms with uh with with Nazi past um it is so similar isn't it because yeah um it, it seems to me that there there are degrees of um accountability um and I think understanding that is really important for for everybody at every Whichever their situation, whether they were a victim or a perpetrator, I think you know there's there's levels of accountability. Um, but yeah, we are ultimately accountable for our actions. I think um,
1: perpetrators perpetrators need help too if they come out of cars. I think that's another thing. Yeah, of, it's 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 important to understand right that everyone who comes out of a cult needs needs help no matter what they've done in there and and especially you know when they feel shame and guilt around maybe what they've done to others so just the fact that they did missionary work and they've recruited yeah. others and others then ended say. up in the group you know yeah. so that yeah, yeah. that that again is is can be a really heavy load to carry and and i think it's it's so important that we we understand more of the complexity of what it actually means to to be to have been entangled in such a way where it's where it's lots of black and white i mean the people who've never been in a group like that, it is all very black and white you know they think you're just stupid and misled and mm. and the and the guru is the evil person and everyone else is the victim but it's it's so much more complex than that uh,
0: absolutely yeah um uh, in, in all of these groups, you I think it's easier to understand the um, apologist nature of people who were part of the group. So part of our defence mechanism psychologically is to explain either, you know, actually it wasn't that bad. It was um, lots of people were helped um, and so on and so on. But then you also get these figures on on the outside who haven't really had a, an experience with the group but I mean we call them apologists um you know and often they are sometimes they're academics sometimes they are also journalists and um, I guess you've you've spoken to some of those people what's your thinking about how they come to that conclusion?
1: Uh, to be honest I really haven't had much to do with I know there's some well-known cult apologists in the cult expert world well they're mm. probably not the experts <laughs> they're the apologists but i am yeah. aware of them and mm. um, but i tend to rather you know stick to those experts who i think are actually real experts and not apologists sure. like you know Jan- Jan or so yeah, on yeah. Who, I, who i really have a a lot of time for um what i do see though is more in um you know the precinct, for instance, of of Ista International School of Temple Arts, which I have write a little bit in my book, but not mm-hmm. a lot because it's so personal. Because that's another you know, group I was involved in, and they're yeah. just they've had a massive call out last year, and they're going through a right now through mediation with the people who've also called them out. So there is a chance of reforming, but I'm not holding my breath. We'll see what comes out of it, right? And I do notice a lot of you know, this is really where I see more of the apologist behavior in, in the Facebook groups and, in, yeah, in online groups where where ISTA is being discussed or where this call-out is being discussed or where these allegations are being discussed. That's why, you know, it's, so it's not even the, the experts I'm looking at, or the so-called or people who, who present themselves as experts who I'm looking at. It's more people who are, um, who are kind of still, You know, especially if they've had good experiences. And I I get that. It's hard. It's painful if you look back Mm -hmm. at something that meant something to you in your life. Even though you know overall the system is not right or something's wrong there. But for you at the time, this was heaven or it was your haven or it Mm -hmm. was good for you or it helped you. And it's super painful it's like it's like like looking better at a relationship where you loved someone for a while even though they abused you right it's 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 kind of like that so I, I get the complexity of people defending something that they—that's dear to them, and they're passionate about it, and they become really defensive. But that's where I, I really see it, and I think it's so problematic because a lot of people don't even understand that they're being—that they're cult apologists, and there—and there's so many different flavors of that. For instance, um, just the fact, even just saying, "Well, but everything was good for me. I never witnessed any abuse." Mm-hmm. I mean that in itself, yeah. I mean that might be true, but they, people don't even get that. That's already from the from the playbook of the cult apologist. You know, instead of saying, "Okay, if if I was one of the lucky ones, mm-hmm. I should even be more," um, you know, shouldn't that motivate me even more to help those who weren't so lucky or had bad experiences, right? Yeah. Um, But no, it's this. Oh, I was I wasn't there, and therefore it didn't happen. Yeah. And and there's so many other other flavors of this, or. Um saying, oh, you know, but their intentions were good, you know, the abusers' intentions were well. I think they actually meant well. It didn't mean that. Well, I mean, try try saying that in a court of law, yeah. It's mm. there, there's so many different ways of how people communicate around, especially on social media, or when there's a call out, and it usually happens there in these spaces these days, right? And then you get the wider group in the wider field, and the people are coming to the defense of the group, or you get, get this deafening silence. Someone who's brave enough steps forward, brings something forward, allegations, a call out, and then everyone's afraid to say something. And that in itself, again, is a really, it just tells me something. Yeah, It tells me something about the group dynamics mm. and, and the group thing and that people don't want to burst the bubble of their little utopia or what they, you know, the next fix they want to get, their next intensity fix, their next great yeah. training they want to go to. And someone's, someone's rained on their parade. So all of that I would put under the umbrella of 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 cult apologism Mm, (laughs) even if it's not necessarily those those specific people you might be thinking of yeah
0: I, i think you you say in your book i forget the exact wording but there's a there's something in the book around the you know the weight of of this falls upon the shoulders of those who have left and that's a very telling sort of um, insight, I think and and that is true and it comes at a cost. you know even even yeah. a podcast like this comes at, at a cost that I didn't expect. So it it's it's uh, um just the act of saying your own experience and your own story can come at a cost that you didn't really anticipate. And you know I, I would say my story is quite mild compared to to lots and certainly the people in, in your book, you know, but it still is is costly.
1: I'm so glad you 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 brought this up because it's actually not probably not really talked about widely mm-hmm. enough the how much of the work to expose a cult or to help people come out of cults or to bring a cult down, which is a it's not easy, right? It's a big it's a big task, yeah. yeah? Um and not often su- successful, but all that usually lies rests on the shoulders of cult survivors. And these are people who actually need time. To heal themselves first. And I've I've recently interviewed um, Dr. Yanya Lalic, um, yeah. my you know, my sort of to go-to <laughs> cult expert about this. Now she's really great. She's written a book, um, mm-hmm. Take Back Your Life, which you probably know. And she runs courses for cult survivors, but also for therapists. And she she opened my eyes to that. She said, yeah, it's actually, she said she would always tell, you know, someone coming out of car, say, no, don't do this. Don't become, don't jump into activism straight away, even though, of course, there's a lot of fire. You know, people yeah. really want to, they've, they have they've finally realized what this was. They want to help others come out. There's also maybe a sense of it's payback time or revenge or let's take the leader mm-hmm. down. And there's all this, you know, there's this anger, this righteous anger. But at least, you know, I can only quote Janja Lalic here, but she said it's, it's actually not... Good, and because because actually, a cult member coming out of a cult, they need to be selfish for the first time in their lives, and not again think about others and what would help the greater good. Because that's how they've been, you know, how they had yeah. to be the whole time. Had to think always think about their group that comes first. And no, this is all about just them and their own healing and their own time. And just you know, it's it's best probably to get some therapy first and maybe leave the activism to people who are not quite so bruised. And I've also seen this with um, you know, with the activism around, for instance, even, even with Center Point, I've seen this too, that the Center Point Rest Restoration Project, which is finally started 2017 yeah um was kicked off by an an article that i wrote the making off of the book that i couldn't write on the first round but i had to give up i wrote the making off for a, a big national magazine here in new zealand and then a woman came out of the woodwork, um, who is a um doctor here in, in Christchurch in my in my city. And she had been in, she'd lived at Center Point for about seven, six, seven months as a child. And some awful things had happened to her, but it, she'd never talked about this. She'd had a lid on this, put a lid on this, and reading my story basically opened, you know, opened the curtain for her mm. and everything came up. And from that, um, she started the Center Point Restoration Project, which is a, a great initiative and a and a documentary. She was later in a documentary with some other papers. so a lot has actually come out of this but i I don't think that women who were as damaged as say Louise, yeah? the former quote unquote yeah. girl in the caravan, you know I don't think they they would have had it in them to 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 do something this. I think that it helped maybe. You know, sometimes it helps to be a bit further removed or not having excuse me, not having lived your whole life since you left in this yeah. mindset of 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 the trauma or mm. dealing with the trauma. Um, and also with Gloria Bell, the third big cult in my in my book, The Christian Cult, which is still mm. going, the people who are doing the most to to basically reveal what's going in there, going on in there, and helping people to come out and also who, who have also been a driving force behind the court cases in New Zealand that we're seeing. Um, they were actually not that there were there were actually people from a Baptist church here um, in New Zealand who, who had kind of skin in the game because mm. they thought, you know, Gloria is living the wrong kind of Christianity, and therefore they were very passionate about helping fellow Christians to being a better kind mm. of community right um and and good on them and all power to them they're doing great work and and they've helped a lot of the survivors you know people come out who were completely lost before because there was no network for them not many people really understood what it actually meant to come out of such an enclosed christian community and i, I it it but it, it really it's sad for me sometimes that so much of this work lies on the shoulders of volunteers mm. um in the in the case of the gloria believers trust i would say um that's not so problematic because they're they're really equipped to do this yeah they're, they're 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 getting some funding they're doing great work they're not um breaking under the load they're, they're 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 psychologically spiritually really well set up to do this but then we also have people who come out of other communities doing all this work and you know, for instance, with Istan, our International School of Temple Arts, and and also some of these other um, tantric yoga cults and so on. That's actually this kind of this kind of groundwork of accountability of giving them a roadmap of how they could do better, of collecting survivors' reports or reports of people who've been harmed in there, and bringing that to the organization. That is actually work an organization should be doing themselves. They should yeah. hire. Specialists for that, they should pay them decent money, and not just as a sort of whitewashing act. But like, if, if they're mm. really serious about not wanting to be called a cult or not wanting to be a cult or ever become a cult, that's the kind of work they have to do. Like just like any company needs to do this if they have sexual abuse, you know, mm. allegations against them. But what we're seeing, at least here in New Zealand, and I don't think it's any different in in Europe, is a lot of that work is actually done by people. Who are, who are survivors? Who are still struggling? Who've been damaged? Who actually should have better things to do with their lives than showing the abusers how to do better? Right?
0: I'm yeah, sorry I, if I'm ranting. No, I think really for that. Uh, that it's yeah. great to it's great to hear your you know your passion in in that because I I totally agree and um, I think most well wrong to uh, to use the word most many leavers including myself have a burning desire to talk about. Our experience and and I didn't talk about it for well over 20 years um so it took me a long time to uh to decide to talk and a lot of that was because of fear of reprisals and fear of um you know there's certain levers that they are able to pull that that make life difficult for you um so that was part of the reason why I kept quiet but I do think I do think levers will often want to talk not always but sometimes do but that that hard, that legwork that you were describing there in terms of trying to get um, policies, uh, even like laws to be changed and so on, that's that's a big piece of work. But the other thing I was going to say is, um, unfortunately, we're also met by a lobby that is sometimes accuses us of hate speech or of you know trying to damage people's right to to their their beliefs and, and religious beliefs and so on um, and that's really upsetting actually and that that is um yeah that that's one of the most damaging accusations I think um certainly I feel that
1: that is that is really um awful if that's thrown at you mm. I can I can sympathise, and I I've all I've also witnessed over the years that the that some of the fervour that you see in cults is sometimes duplicated on the outside against. The yeah. former cult. You're nodding. That's good because I'm sure. wondering: am, am I am I off no, the mark here, happen. or is this? Here? Mm. it can happen, right? And mm. and it's and it's not surprising. Given, I mean, first of all, given the trauma, giving the hurt, the sense of betrayal, the rage, the anger, all of that that comes with that, and also um, the sort of us versus them thinking that some people are so so steeped in and they can I can flip around so how to how to find the right balance right of mm. speaking up I mean I, I love the fact that you have a podcast you know I mean that's it, such a good way of give, giving other people a voice using your own voice processing things having more nuanced discussions I mean we could also talk about journalism right which is of course what I do and yeah journalism I mean it's, it's another big thing coming stepping forward going public, right? So I, I think sometimes cult survivors might also underestimate what that actually means if they suddenly, you know, say, I'm I'm going to talk to the media and mm. I call a journalist and I tell them my story. And I, I mean I, I I'd hate to beg my own profession, but but not every reporter is um doesn't even even know what survivor focus means or mm. what, what being, you know, doing trauma sensitive reporting means. And I've just had a actually a, a bit of an upsetting experience with a son in the UK where they, you know, ran a story about my book, but then opened it up with a, with a, with a few sentences that were just completely, you know, (laughs) They were misrepresenting Louise's mm. experience, yeah, and and I felt really awful even showing this to the survivor to this extremely brave woman who mm. I've worked with over the years to get her story out, who's gone with me through thick and thin, then and hasn't hasn't backed off, which is extremely brave. And then, mm. you know, her her story ends up in a. In a, in, a, in a national tabloid because um, that's what you have to do to write your book. But then mm. she she's not actually, she actually doesn't get a say in how that's being, how she's being portrayed in this, yeah. you know, who she was as a child and that, in those awful vulnerable moments, and I just it just makes me a bit sick and angry sometimes. But that, and and even though, even even if the intention might be good, that editors think, oh yeah, well we're bringing the abuse to light. But if you're actually not even being accurate at how you're describing mm. the victim or the survivor, you're kind of using them all over again. Yeah, and yeah. and. Ah, oh, it yeah, mm. and and I think just to say also that sensibility for people who come forward and media is such a powerful tool, especially when it comes to cars. Often that's the only avenue people can use because a lot of the you know, a lot of stuff that happens in cars is not always something that you can actually take to a court of law or where you can go to the police, especially when it comes to the you know, also the more new agey or mm. neo tantra stuff or so. It's actually not, it's it's it can be really difficult to involve the police, if let's say people are already consenting adults in a more sexuality-focused workshop, yeah, then it comes, becomes really tricky to actually prove that certain things were not consensual and that that wasn't okay. Anyway, I'm all over the show here. But what I, what I wanted to say is media plays a really important yeah. role to bring things forward because often the authorities and the police are inactive. But at the same time, I'm I'm also aware that there are better ways and not so good ways of doing this and i i just hope that there will be more sense you know just just a bit more sensitivity also around the reporting and i think it's getting better overall if we look at the documentaries that have come out mm. over the last years like the vow and some other really really mm. good ones i think it's 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 getting better that it's not just about Um, the shock horror effect of it all, but more really the nuance of of understanding the the psychological complexity of it all. And and thus also showing more respect for the people who are actually in these groups or have been in there.
0: That is true. And um, it's always hard from my perspective to be clear or to understand how that reporting has changed because obviously I've suddenly become over the last five years become more interested and more focused on it. So it's hard to know how much has changed, but yeah, it feels like there is, there is more awareness of cult dynamics. Um, there's, there's more people talking about it. Of course, there's more podcasts and, uh, YouTube videos and, and so on. Um, I think we still have a a long way to go in terms of understanding, um, this, so so most cults or many cults have charity status um in the uk we have um lots of these groups have charity status um i guess it's the same elsewhere um and so this this means that often the the way i look at it is that the victims of these groups end up paying for these charities because they get tax um benefits (laughs) benefits yeah. <laughs> so essentially we're paying for these groups to carry on doing what they've done to us and others um and trying to get trying to engage governments with um uh, with this issue is quite difficult i think because of a fear of being accused of you know damaging people's right to their belief but of course uh, there's the other side of this people's right to leave a group without any sanction is also should be protected and it isn't currently. so that's that's the area I'd like to I know you're not the representative yeah. of all journalists, but um, if I was to say, you know what what could journalism do? What could the media do? is more of a focus on on that, um, as well as obviously the, the real-life stories and what happens to people. But, yeah, how can we protect people? It wouldn't be that difficult to say, if you want to be a charity, then there are some things that you mustn't do. This is one of them. And I would say shunning would be one of those things that a charity should not be allowed to practice.
1: Absolutely. And and it's such a common practice across mm. the board, isn't it? I mean, I only knew about it from Vett and I was – horrified because mm. i've seen what it what it does to people and how brutal it is and then i learned that yeah jehovah's witnesses do it too exclusive brethren do it i mean it, it's 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 common in so many cultic groups especially the fundamentalist christian ones right yeah and it's it's like a human rights violation i i believe and and you're absolutely right don't get me started on the charitable status of of cults but then of mm. course you come up against religious freedom and mm. It's it's a fine line to walk, but I, but I think religious freedom, it's a bit like with freedom of speech, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just yeah, you know, they, they, yes, there are different levels of freedoms, and they cannot um, cancel each other, right? You, you've got to, you know, you have to still protect certain freedoms if if you're going to give a bigger freedom. Does that make sense? What well, all, all freedom,
0: on? yeah. It's, I mean, it's, as you say, it's it's always. Um, relative in in some respects you know you, yeah. you you have to yes people have a right to believe actually whatever they want to believe but that doesn't yeah. give them the right to abuse somebody else because that other person's rights are infringed upon if they do that so yeah it's um of course it's complex um here's my theory politicians basically won't do anything about this unless their constituents um, so this is in democracies, obviously. And they won't do anything about this unless they feel that their constituencies care about it. So if the people that that they represent um, continue to ask the question and make it a, an issue, then I think the politicians will follow. I'm not waiting for politicians to lead on this. I think it's it's about culture saying, look, this is unacceptable in uh, modern societies that we should do this. And one of the big ways of Um, changing public opinion about that is through the media so that for me is why it's so important to engage with the media is to change public opinion about groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and others who seem and they are perfectly nice people um, most of them many of them um, but they are carrying out policies that are damaging and that's the bit we need to help the public to understand Um, and then the pressure comes of course these groups are are told they are indoctrinated to believe that persecution is on the way so that's the that's part of their defense mechanism which I'm sure you came across
1: yeah what's what's the situation like in the in the UK I mean are you um, is would you say there is a lot of cult awareness amongst authorities or in politicians no no
0: not really no um no it's 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 very poor the understanding is isn't there and and, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are a really good example of of a group who have actually made a lot of progress in giving or um, protecting religious freedoms, particularly in the States. So they, you know, they fought for religious freedom. And so often they're, they're held up as being, um, you know, a great example of, of, of a group that have fought for people's right to believe. And of course, I would support people's right to believe. I want I don't want jehovah's witnesses to be banned what i want is to see that some of those practices that are damaging to stop um and i don't understand why they should be given money from the state to carry on doing those practices so for me that's that's the problem but no we we don't have the awareness we don't currently have the politicians who are banging on the door of the legislators saying um look we need to do something about this
1: and you also, from what I understand, you also, uh, like in New Zealand, you actually don't have a government-funded, state-run um, anti cult agency like they have them in no. Germany or Finland or France. Mm. So you don't have that, right?
0: Not as yeah. far as I'm aware. No, not as far as yeah. I'm aware. It's all well. You, you would be all, aware of it if you had. Yeah, that sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's all voluntary organisations. So I work yeah. a little bit with the Family Survival Trust, um, who are a voluntary organisation um alexander Stain is um, a member yeah. of that group so she's quite well known in the uh, in these yeah. circles um there's faith to faithless which are part of humanist uk um of course they tend to although it's not exclusive but the very name suggests that this is people coming out of a religious group um to you know to decide they don't want to have that religious belief anymore so that's a bit more seen as a bit more niche i think um, so yeah, these these are groups that try to do work, but they're all charities and um or voluntary yeah. organizations. So, yeah, we don't have that. um, and as I say, I think it's a lot because of the fear um and also quite powerful um lobbying by some of these groups um who you know put their own case forward in terms of giving people freedom to for religious beliefs and and so on and lies of course you know because there are some of them do tell lies about what they do and don't do you know so yeah uh, unfortunately I, that is part of it as well
1: I, I think you I think you explained that really well that it's and I'm and I'm so on the same page with you it's yeah. not about what people should or shouldn't believe. I mean, c- people can believe the earth is flat, or they're they're yep. governed by extraterrestrials, or I don't care. It's it's not about that. It's it's about the abusive structures and and human rights violations and spiritual, sexual, emotional financial abuse right and and it can't you know you could and it's often harder to spot because it's because of because of the belief system because especially if it's a religious one yeah um it's just so much harder to to to, for it to be so obvious yeah and also for people to speak out about it and and they've got spiritual bypassing in the mix as well what people actually believe it's their own you know, it, it, it's it's good for their growth, or they're closer to God, or so. If if you know, the less they talk about this, and if if they don't complain, and if they they internalize it as their own sin or as their own fault, so it comes in all the different flavors, whether it's the religious flavor or the New Age flavor, same shit, different name, yeah.
0: And this is, I suppose, this is a good place to to end on really. Um, how you you know, these groups that you've talked about um in your book, and we haven't really touched much upon um some of the other groups. We, we mentioned um center point, but there's um obviously there's the yoga, um, the Ag- Agama Yoga. Agama, group, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Gloria Vale as well. Um, but a- although they're very different, I mean the Gloria Vale one, as you described it. Um, and I didn't know that about the um uh, the handmaid's tale, the, the way that the dresses were designed after that. But yeah, looking at that compared to looking at um center point, you would say there's there's no no similarities. But of course, we know and you describe very clearly that underneath that surface there's lots of similarities.
1: Yeah, that actually came as a kind of like a surprise, mm. surprise to me as well, because when I was still in the sort of the early throes of of center point i was all only you know looking into center point for two years and I came across this i met this woman actually she just she just died um a few weeks ago yeah. amazing woman who had been one of the main activists to actually shut center point down and she had been uh you know a, 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 a big believer in but put in the early days and then later um and you know left and, and became one of the biggest critics of the cult. Anyway, and she, when I spent so much time in her house and we talked and she gave me so much material and at some point she also said and this is all happening all over again at Glorival and no one cares. And at that time I didn't actually really pay mm. attention. I thought, oh, Gloria Vale, ah, this is, you know some Christians on the West Coast. Mm. So I just didn't make the connection until later on. And, and her ears of you know her words are always sort of rung in my ears. The parallels, the similarities. Um, the two leaders of the cults at the time were even in competition with each other because the fundamentalist Christian cult, Gloriaval, which had, which had, which a lot of people don't really know anymore when it started off, it had quite a, not promiscuous because they were, you know, very strictly monogamous, but quite a sort of sexually liberal um, Mm. philosophy, which I wouldn't, I mean, now looking back, I would say it's more like a predatory um, culture of, Um, so-called, you know, like marriage counselling sessions for couples, which was really actually for the leader to... (laughs) you know, to to satisfy his, his own needs by giving quote-unquote marriage advice by sitting next to the couple and showing them what to do on the wedding night and whatnot. You know, it, it, oh, and it, it, I don't want to go in all the gross details. Mm. There were some some pretty horrific things that happened, mm. and he actually went to jail for one of them. Mm. And it was always circulated within Gloria Velas, oh, he was just persecuted for his faith, yeah, and not for for being a, a yeah. sexual abuser of mm. a minor So these similarities, not only that both the leaders of these two cults, even though they look very different from the outside, one is sort of like a more like a hippie, bohemian, Mm. liberal community, um, open relationships, and and the other one, this strict um, Christian cult where women, you know, no one's ever naked and everyone's covered Mm. to the, or (laughs) wear long dresses and so on. But at Gloraville, and this only really came up for me later in my research, there is such a focus on sexuality, because this hmm. is, I mean, it's even in there in their little booklet, and it gets preached on a daily basis, almost that this is it's you know women have to be there for the men and and this is the woman's role is also to sexually satisfy her husband and that's her role and and there's a lot of focus and a lot of talk on that and also everyone sleeps like at center point like they did the center point back then all the families sleep together in in one room the mm-hmm. kids are you know right next next in the next bed where where the parents have sex and mm-hmm. so it's this sort of normalization also of this is what we do and this is you know happening a lot and this is and and I'm um, and I don't want to sound sex sex negative at all you know this is such a fine line to sure. walk on the one hand not i don't know you know it's it's such a complex topic but like, like you said it, in in the end it became almost the bind and of course also with that gama yoga in Thailand luckily um, there was no um, sexual child abuse but the but it's definitely it, mm. it's definitely fair to also call that a, a sex cult and also the way how you know women were were coerced into, into into sex and into believing that sexual abuse what was actually sexual abuse was actually for the healing and so on so all these even though from the outside they all look quite different those three groups this is like the, the Denominator, sexual abuse, and yeah. as we know from Dr. janiel Lalich, forty percent of women in cults or cults are sexually abused. So it's a massive feminist issue, and I think it doesn't get talked about enough mm-hmm. because there's this obscurity factor. You know, people, cults are fascinating and interesting and weird, and but people, I really want that people understand more, and my readers hopefully get that from my book. We're looking at some some really Massive human rights violations here, and and yeah. misogyny on a, on a massive scale. And you know, if we call out Harvey Weinstein, and the Me Too movement, movement yeah. has finally arrived in the in the spiritual world as well, but I mean, it took it took a bit mm. longer than in the in the film world. But we've got to take this seriously. Mm. Cults are not just a joke, right?
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that um quite a few times in in your book. I think it's really interesting the way that you. Uh, refer to that and and the the way that society's been waking up to this sort of behavior um yeah and and actually if you look at things like weinstein and um and and the other sort of well-known groups um the, their methods are are very similar they, these are coercively controlling people who who use power to get what they want you know and um a lot of the uh a lot of the the, the behaviors are the same we we talked to um someone who has a an organization to help women who have suffered coercive control from their partners and and yeah the, the playbook that she describes is is pretty much the same it's it's you know it, love it is the same. to start with, and it's, so on you know
1: that, that's such a good comparison and i often mm. bring you know it wouldn't surprise you but it of course it's the
0: yeah if,
1: if I think it helps people to understand better what happens in cars if they think of domestic violence. Yeah. The same mm-hmm. dynamics. Why why is it hard for a, a better woman, you know, to, to just Leave and and I think now you know we, we do understand that much better now as maybe in the nineteen seventies or eighties people would say oh why doesn't she just go to That's the right. police or just just go to a women's shelter and leave him and now now we understand those dynamics of coercive control and why it takes a long and a lot of suffering and a long time mm-hmm. before the the battered wife yeah if you use that you know try, packs mm-hmm. up and leaves but it's it's so similar to people in cults that they they want to you know they want to hold on to what was good in the first place. And 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 the love that they felt in the beginning, yeah. and the you know like the in air quotes relationship they had with mm. the, the the good part of the person who they fell in love with. It's the same with the with the cult and the ideology <laughs> or the group or the haven they found and the belief system that they had thought. Is, is beneficial for them or would save the world or it was their home because they grew up there. It takes, you know, it so much needs, to, so much bad stuff needs to happen first before, before they can finally pack yeah. up and, and leave. And again, the same thing, you know, it's not so easy. If this is your whole life, if you, you know, if you think of the battered wife again, if you have a child, if this is your family home, if you're financially mm-hmm. dependent, if you're yeah. scared of your partner that he will come after you and hurt you again, it's the same thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Anchor it's been fantastic Ah. talking to you i've so enjoyed it um wow we've covered
1: a lot of ground eh? we have
0: yeah and you know like your book um i i can say i enjoyed it but there were parts that were were difficult to read but necessary i think so um i would recommend anybody that's interested in this topic to to buy a copy of your book um it's called Cult trip and yeah buy buy a copy of that and um yeah I, I, i'm going to look out for your work obviously in the future um so thank you so much for being on our podcast today and Karixa. Oh,
1: thank you steve it's been really great talking to you and i love the work that you do thank you oh,
0: thank you